All right. Hi, everyone. It's Obi Abuchi here with the Leading From Your Core podcast and vodcast. This show is dedicated to helping leaders all around the world discover leadership wisdom, stories, and insights that will enable you to tap into the power of leading from the inside out. Our current season is focused on mental resilience among leaders, and I'm delighted to welcome on the show all the way from Miami, Florida, <laughs> James Miller. Now, few people have reached the level of success James now enjoys. His knowledge, his authenticity, his nationwide appeal and work ethic have made him exceptionally popular across multimedia channels, James is a licensed psychotherapist who has been in the mental health field for over 25 years. He's widely recognized for his work as the host and executive producer of the U.S. nationally syndicated radio program Lifeology, where he teaches practical life lessons to help people simplify and transform their spirit, mind and body. James, I know we're in for an exciting conversation. <laughs> Welcome once again to the show. Thank you so much, Obi. I, I really appreciate that intro. That was great. And you, your listeners may not yet know this, but you are also a guest on my show. So I highly recommend that your, your viewers and listeners listen to that because you did fantastic. And I, I can't wait to be interviewed by you. So thank you for allowing me to be a guest in your show today. Brilliant. Uh, thanks, James. And I'll, we'll put the details and link to your show in the show notes after oh, this. So just so our listeners and viewers get to know who you are and a little bit more about you, I'd like to dive straight in and ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the mental health field. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I've been on many shows before and I've told this story and people are like, oh my God, that's a really intense story. But you know, it's, we're all very authentic. And so I, um, I just had a natural proclivity for people to just come up and tell me their whole life story. So even as a little kid, you know, little kids would come up and talk to me all the time or just even when I was in high school, that would happen. Uh, but I was actually, I struggled with, with depression when I was a kid. And so when that happened, I actually ended up going into the hospital. And so I was in the hospital for about three days and it was just before my 18th birthday. And I remember, Obi, and this, this, is, this is a really interesting part. I remember I was there and I was like, if I can do anything to help anybody, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm a 17 year old kid, what, what did wow. I know? And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the funny thing is though, four years later, I, I went to university and upon graduation, I was um, a psychiatric technician. And so I would go to the different units of all the different hospitals and all, you know, just different locations where they needed me. And I remember <clears throat> I was tasked to go to this one hospital and I went to that hospital and I was like, oh my gosh, just crazy. And then I realized I was in the same unit in the same room where I made that vow four years prior to that to say, oh my gosh, I've actually achieved my goal. And I didn't wow. even realize it was, I mean, I knew where I was going, but I didn't realize on what floor, what unit I was going to be on. And to have that awareness was like, wow, this is amazing. So I made that vow when I didn't really realize what I was doing. Sure. Four years later, I did it. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, th maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And so that's how everything kind of laid out for me in my future. And so from there, I went to, you know, obviously to graduate school, um, did so many things, used to be a, a professor at university, did all these things in the mental health, psychiatric world or psych psychological world rather. And that's kind of how I started. So, um, and then I, I was also in TV films when I was younger, I did a lot of entertainment stuff. And so now as I started Lifeology in 2015, I did the intersect where um, I have this, the psychological aspects, I have all the, the training when it comes to TV, radio, et cetera. And so then I put it all together to say, well, what, what does my brand look like? And so here we are today 
at 6 a.m. on my time in Miami, Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bright eyed and bushy tails. I know, right? <laughs> Great filters on this thing. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, wow. Thanks for sharing that. And, and the personal element as well, because it's, you know, there's a, a challenge, a difficulty. I appreciate your honesty about the depression that you went through. And mm -hmm. it sounds like, there's the a theoretical element to the psychotherapy, yes. but you understand personally what it's like to yes. uh, push through and achieve a breakthrough in your own mental health. So yes. um, not yeah, only it's, do you talk as an expert, but also just from someone who's experienced it. Exactly. And, and I appreciate you saying that because some, so many times, and there, I have so many amazing colleagues, and, and I don't understand every single thing that people go through, of course, because, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know what pregnancy feels like, you know, there's so many things I don't know. But I do know from a the theoretical approach, but I also know from a humanistic approach, in the sense of we all feel something we all whether it's considered a quote mental health disorder, whether it's just life angst, whatever it might be, but so we're all unified by our emotional experience. We all know what grief feels like we all know what pain feels like we all know what joy feels like all of those emotions are the basic human rights that each person has, and so we can connect with the other person, so I may not know your life experience, and I may not understand your life experience, but I understand the emotions that you experience, and so therefore we can all be unified, so I can see someone on my street, and they'd be like oh I don't you know who have my own pre preconceived ideas but then when i see them in pain my heart goes out to them because i'm like i know exactly how you feel i've been in pain before as well so i think that's just something as all of us whether leadership whether it's um whether we're in our family system of origin whatever it might be we can all connect that way so sometimes when we allow our political affiliations and allow other divisiveness in the world to get in the way we forget that we as a human all humans have that same emotional experience and we can connect in such a visceral way if we're just aware of that yeah, I, I, I love that. It, it reminds me, I wasn't planning to go here, but it reminds me of one of my favorite films, Independence Day. Oh, yes. And, and the reason I love Independence <laughs> Day is because um, we, we, often is, we often think about what are the things that separate us? What are the things that divide us? You know, I'm from, I'm black, I'm white, I'm green, I'm yellow, I'm from the north, I'm from the south, I'm from this country or that country. But Independence Day, we had a common enemy and we suddenly yes. realize you know what hey guys we're all human yes. we're all human and as you say it's more than just okay we're physically human but at an emotional level we've all got the same emotions of pain of yes. grief of worry of sadness wherever we are in the world you know joy and all the like so yeah. i love that great way to um just ground ourselves as we <laughs> dive further in so I mentioned earlier on the theme of this current season is mental resilience. And we're going to talk about this from a leadership perspective, uh, leaders who have influence over others, but also just from leading oneself. And I'd like to start with just what's your, how do you define mental resilience? What does it mean to you? Mental resilience, I would focus more on the aspect of when life happens, because it happens to all of us from the, the greatest thing to the most painful thing. How do you bounce back from it? Because I always teach that there's a first response and a second response. Our first response is our natural response. So, Obi, if I were to come up and startle you, you'd be like, ah, and then you realize it's me and then you would be startled. But oh. if I if I did that and then you were you're still startled for the next hour, it doesn't make sense. So that's mm -hmm. how it is when it comes to our first response, and second response. The first response is always the reactive response the emotional response, the def defensive response, the protective response. And then the more quickly we can get to the secondary response of now, what do I do with this? That's where you'll find the, the mental resilience kicks in. So we, if, if, 
you know, we have some devastating news, very normal, very natural to have that first response. But the goal is, is then now how do you get to the second response at, at your time, the appropriate time? Because we know there's an appropriate time for grief. And then once the grief is over, then what do we do with that? So mental resilience, kind of going back to what I was saying is, it's the ability to experience the first response, but then go into the aspect of now, what do I do with this? Because we can't change what happens in life. We wish we could. We wish we could oh. defend ourselves. We wish we could do all these things. But when we can't, now we say, well, what, what do I do with this? How do I use this as a stepping stone instead of a stumbling block? Brilliant. Lo love that. And I love the distinction between the first and second response, because again, it helps normalize the yeah. reality that hey, we'll all feel pressure, we'll all feel um, a, a, certain amount, uh, a certain amount of angst with things mm -hmm. that we may experience the last 18 months for a lot of people with the COVID mm -hmm. pandemic and the pressure that that has put on organizations, lots of first responses. How do you then move that into that second response of- Exactly. And I think a lot of times people do- yeah, I think a lot of times people do minimize that first response. Oh, you shouldn't feel this way or just get over mm, it. And that's mm. that's so invalidating because you have every right to feel how you feel. I know when, I, when life happens to me, of course, I'm going to freak out. Of course, I'm going to be upset. Of course, I'm going to do that. So that's one thing I really want to normalize with people that it's okay to feel a certain way. It's okay mm. to do that. And you get to choose when you move to the next response. Anytime that there's a disconnect between people, though, there's they're responding in the first response so that's where arguments happen that's where uh, discord happens and so when you can be aware of this okay i'm being triggered right now it's totally fine but it's mm -hmm. probably not the time to discuss something with someone so i always tell people there are three criteria for debriefing or to have a conversation and so that is it the right time is it the right place physical place and am i emotionally available or is the other person emotionally available to discuss this because if you don't have that time place emotional availability then all of a sudden everyone's going to respond in the first response and that's where you'll find huge disconnects and that's where you find that relationships break down uh, struggles happen because we haven't given ourselves enough time to get to the second response of now what do we do with this how do we resolve this super and i can imagine that for a lot of the viewers listeners who are leaders they're already thinking about interactions that they have with the people <laughs> yeah, in their teams true. the people they lead and and um how aware am i of what i'm feeling in this yeah. moment and exactly. i'd like us to move it into that direction sure. now just with mental resilience why do you think it's important both in in leadership and in life I think without that, we allow life to dictate how we respond, how we show up. It gives us our, it tells us how far we can advance in life. It tells us how we should, it keeps us in our place. And for leaders specifically, as a leader, you're there to lead, to move in a forward direction. And without that ability to find that mental resilience, then all of a sudden the situation is going to dictate what you do. And then unfortunately you'll respond in the first response. And that first response is always crisis management, which is important, but it's crisis management with reactivity or being very reactive. And that will never solve the problem. It may put a bandaid on it, but then now you have a systemic problem that's going to get in the way because now you respond out of fear, out of anxiety, out of worry out of oh my gosh can we even do this and that then takes the foundational piece that was once strong and now starts to put chinks in it and so all of a mm. sudden there's an erosion that happens and so now we think oh this is great but then what happens if something else happens to us or to this to this organization and then with that that's when they start to think well maybe i can't do this and then it causes insecurity causes self-doubt and that self-doubt then trickles down the cascade effect to the subordinates or the people who follow you yeah it's amazing because you're already describing this this continuum really of 
what's going on on the inside, the the mm -hmm. things that we're saying to ourselves, our, our mental talk, our mental self-talk is then influencing our behaviors and then ultimately our results as, as well. Yes. Right? So the yes. more that we can be aware of that, get in control of that, then we start to deliver greater results than we thought uh, possible. Because it starts, because if it comes, if your response is based out of fear or based out of worry, and that first response, then yes, it becomes a pervasive uh, paradigm. It becomes a pervasive reaction. And so the more often we do something, as we know, it takes 66 times, or excuse me, 63 times to do something to become a habit. So if you continue to do that, then all of a sudden, that's your leadership style, you respond out of fear, you respond out of doubt, you respond out of whatever. And that is then how you'll find when you upon reflection or retrospection, like, you know, my, my success probably isn't as good as it could be, or as, as healthy as it could be. Because when I look back on this, all of a sudden, what was once a really healthy, an exciting, exuberant type of personality, and I, I can't wait to do this. All of a sudden, sure. there's defeats. There is there's burnout. There's there's self doubt. There's there's anger. There's frustration. There's resentment that all builds up. And once again, those are natural feelings to have, but it can often stem from a place of responding in the first response. And that first response, unfortunately, it's a natural response. But that's not the problem solving response. That is the the freak out response. Sure. Now you're you're clearly an expert in this, but also a practitioner as well. And I'd love to hear just some of your own personal experience of successes you've had, failures you've had as a leader. That have what has it revealed about your own mental game and your own resilience? So yeah, thank you. Start off with a success. All right. Well, first off, I'm always very careful about when people say <laughs> expert because <laughs> I'm like nobody. I'm like everybody else. And so I, I always tell people that because I know I'm probably going to do something and like all of us. I mean, my life just may be a little bit more uh, publicized than other people. So I'm always like, I am just on this journey like everybody else. But I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. But you know, I always I always really think of leadership and I wanted to take maybe a slightly different approach than maybe other people have talked about is it's leading one's own life. And so when I look at Love leading it. my own life, I'm the CEO of my, of, of my life. So when I look at the type, type of my personality, we can kind of quantify that as, as an employee or a subordinate who is a procrastinator, the partier, the, um, the lazy one, the unmotivated one, or, or the, the overachiever. I mean, I can break down my, my life into all the different categories of my personality facets. And then when I say, okay, well, what do I do with that? So there are times like I have, I have a, a big event right after this that I have to prepare for. Now I ask myself, did I prepare for it the right way? Did I do something else? Um, instead of the preparation or even preparing for this show. What did I do? So when mm -hmm. I look at the different facets of my life, I always think of it in that respect. Okay, well, we know that this time of day, this is how this person acts out. Or here I'm at the beach. You can't see it right now. I live mm -hmm. on the ocean, so I want to be at the beach all the time. Is that okay? And so it's learning how to move the widgets of one's life and, and kind of think of them as a subordinate. So how do I then lead myself in all those different wonderful aspects of my life mm -hmm. to say, let, let, me, let me lead the procrastinating version of James. How would I lead him in a way that still shows honor, that shows, still shows compassion, but also it has maybe stronger boundaries. And so when you can look at your life in that way, as a CEO, you then start to plan it in such a way that I know this is a difficult time of the day for me. I know I'm really, really productive this time of the day. How do I move my life around to be able to say, this is how I can be productive. What I always tell people is if you're going to plan your day out, I usually plan my week out like most people, but because, you know, I have a loose schedule. But then when I'm going to plan something out, for example, today, today's a outlier for, for my schedule. And so I always say, okay, well, the night before, let me plan the day. So I always reverse engineer it. So I, last night when I planned this, I said, well, what time am I going to bed tomorrow night? So when I knew what time I'm going to bed, then I worked everything back 
all the way until the time that I scheduled that, which was the night before. So it's a full 24-hour spectrum. And to be able to really pull that out and look at that, what that schedule looks like, then I say, okay, this is when I know that the perhaps the procrastinating James isn't going to do well. So let me move this other thing around for when for when the really uber productive version of James comes out. So it's learning how to know yourself and how to give yourself grace so that you always set your set your day up for for success and for productivity, as opposed to setting your day up knowing without this awareness that you are going to inadvertently cause yourself to fail or struggle. Sure. And and, and you, you said this a few times, and I really appreciate that story, the awareness. It's mm-hmm. that that is so key the awareness of yourself, awareness of you at your best, you at your yes. worst, and, and then being able to plan around that. And even though the, the focus there is, in a sense, self-leadership, I think that's so critical because I often talk to leaders about the idea of putting your oxygen mask on first, right? You you mm-hmm. cannot give what you don't have. And so right. if you don't know how to be in tune with OB Inc., James Inc., you know, what am I like? What are some of the things that take my energy, that give me energy? When I'm in tune with that for myself, then I'm able yeah. to be in tune with that for um, other people. So I, I love that focus. And I'm sure that there'll be some people listening that'll even lo- love your idea of just <laughs> the reverse engineering and thinking, yeah. hey, I've got that to do. How do I, let's work backwards and make sure I can manage my energy yeah. um, in the build up to that. So that's. But uh, yeah, probably. but you know, I also reverse engineer a lot of things as well. So for example, if I have to talk to one of my staff or if I have to talk to someone else, I always reverse engineer it. So on the other side of the conversation, how do I want to feel? What's the resolution I'm looking for? And so when I know what that looks like, that then I reverse engineer it to the moment to say, well, if I want that to happen, how do I make sure I prepare myself and prepare what I'm going to discuss in a way that it gets me there. Because if I come from a place of being defensive or reactive in the first state, in the first response, then all of a sudden I'm not going to achieve that. So when you can think on the other side of whatever it is you want to accomplish, then it's easier to reverse engineer it because now you know, well, this step probably is going to move me away from the, the goal I want. So let me let me slightly pivot it. So now all of a sudden, okay, now I'm going the direction I want to go. So for example, if you and I had an argument, my goal would be, okay, I want the resolution. I want us to be amicable again. So all that is going to be, let me listen to Obi. I know that I would probably be in the first response. So let me not be in that first response. Let me hear what Obi has to say without being defensive because we have different perspectives. And so it's different perspectives doesn't mean one's right or wrong. It just means it's different. So if I want to get to this other side, how do I make sure that my comportment, in other words, how I present myself, the words I use, the compassion I have, the empathy that I have, how do I make sure that's always there? And so when you can be mindful that in the moment, that is the prevalent thing that comes out. So therefore we can achieve the goal that I would like to achieve, which is obviously uh, reconnection. Brilliant, brilliant. And I love the visualization that goes into that as well. Just being able to imagine that conversation, that dialogue, Mm -hmm. and therefore when I'm in that situation, I'm more likely to bring the best of myself to that. Yes. Have you got a an experience where it didn't go so well, a, a failure, a difficulty, uh, something that went pretty pear-shaped and that you had a look, reflected on what your mental game, what your resilience was like and, and therefore how to tune it up? You know, I, I've had quite a, well, I'm just like everybody else, I have quite a few <laughs> mishaps <laughs> where I get to practice again and again. You know, I, I remember one time I was, I, I obviously won't use any names, but I was, I was talking to someone um in my field and 
their perception about working with a client and my perception of working with a client was completely different. And okay. so we both responded in a way that was, that we both felt were, you know, were advocating for the client, but upon reflection, both realized, wow, our personal stuff just got in the way. <laughs> My personal stuff of I'm the better therapist, or <laughs> she's the better therapist. I mean, silly things like, come on. I mean, we're <laughs> but but I mean, we can laugh about it now. But at the time, we were so adamant because we had different expertise. And but to to be aware of that, that sometimes well-intentioned people have other people's best interest in mind. So, for example, two leaders have the best interest in mind of, 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 of whomever else they're, they're leading. But if there's a disconnect or a clash there, often it's our own stuff that gets in the way. So, but it can be masked behind professionalism. It can be masked behind um, expertise. It can be masked behind so many different things. But when you really take a step back, it's like, how am I greater than this other person? This person has just as much insight as me, but what is coming up in me that says I have to overly protect this person. So for example, the scale of one to 10, 10 is the most uh, reactive or most expressive you can be. One is the least reactive. When you respond to somebody and in that moment, or perhaps it's upon reflection, you can think, wow, I really overreacted. Like, what was that about? So for example, the situation warranted, or you, you express yourself, let's say level eight, and it really warranted maybe level four. Well, that five to eight is all your stuff you're bringing in. So when I, when I reflected on that, I was like, that was a little intense, you know, it could have been just the way I said it. So it was the way I said it. And then, but even though I, I may have been right, but my expression that, that five to eight and that scale was, was not, was not um, part of the conversation. It was what I brought in. So it's why it's so important that anytime in the moment, if you feel a spike of emotion, that's your stuff you're bringing in, it's probably not part of the conversation. So I may have been thinking I was responding in the second response, but I brought in something from a previous area previous first response that I hadn't yet worked through and so when you bring those two things together that's immediate discord and so I realized that you know I, I talked with this person this other person realized it as well um, with their own self-reflection and then we, we that's why we can laugh about it now because like okay we, we we know how <laughs> we now know what it feels like <laughs> yeah. when our own stuff gets in the way from trying to be like the most um, the most healthier ethical type of clinician but but that's just something as well as Anytime, like I said, just to reflect a recap, what I said is that that spike of emotion and anything we do is an overreaction because it's probably not as great as what we think. No, brilliant. Um, I, I love that you're also touching on something that's so critical for leaders here, which is self-reflection, right? So the, the, you, the reason that you were able to um, <laughs> understand and laugh about it was because yeah. it sounded like both of you yeah. took that time out to say, what was going on here? <laughs> Right, and uh, um, our stuff gets it in the way uh, over the over the Christmas holiday. I had something similar with one of my boys. Actually, I, I found myself overreacting, and I just thought, "What what's going on here?" And and I realized I ended up coming across this model on parenting styles from you know quite um, four models: authoritarian, neglectful, uh -huh. permissive, uh -huh. and then authoritative. Uh -huh. And it's all about how we balance love and that yes. unconditional love and control and i realized that i was projecting some of my own experiences growing up uh, without a father yeah. on my boys and it ended up being this beautiful conversation that my wife and i had with our boys about we actually shared the parenting styles with them and said where do you see That's mommy great. and daddy at the moment and where would you like us to be 
Um, and I was able to revisit the earlier conversation with my older boy and said, hey, that was dad stuff going on there that had nothing to do with you. But but it's you know, it's just that opportunity That's for amazing, reflection and, yes. and being clear about, hey, what's going on for me? And this is my stuff, yeah. <laughs> not the others. And leaders have this all the time as well, just that leaders can be authoritarian, command and control, and they've got pressures, they've got things to do. But taking that time to reflect and say, is this me? Is this yeah. my stuff? And how do I adjust in order to have a more effective and resourceful conversation with people I'm interacting with. But to even piggyback off what you just said is you're also role modeling that you had a struggle and I'm aware of that. And this is how I'm going to change it. So not only did you give them the information, but you, you literally role model to them how to take responsibility, how to take ownership and how to be accountable to other people and move forward. So that's, you know, that's a, a brilliant way in which you not only we're able to parent, of course, because you guys are great parents, but it's also your ability to be a great leader and effective leader when it comes to your, your family as well. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Well then. Thank you. <laughs> um, hey, I want to start wrapping up. But um, over the years, and, I, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, just through the leaders that I've coached and trained, I, I've discovered this truth that when life squeezes you and the pressure is on, what you're like on the inside will come out. It, it's like, you know, you, you squeeze an orange, whatever it's, yeah. what's on the inside will come out. And just from your experience, how can leaders make sure that what they're like on the inside is as resilient, is as healthy as possible so that they're able to be as productive and impactful as sure. they desire to be? Great question. I always tell people how you start your day is indicative of how your day is going to go. So prior to this, me um, getting up at 5 a.m. this morning, which is great, uh, I got up, you know, and I, I did my, I, I did my, my part of my spirituality. So it doesn't necessarily have to be religious, but for me, it's, it's a certain, I have a faith, I, I come from a faith-based uh, approach or background. So for me, I really engaged in my spirituality because I don't want to start my day without something that is greater than myself leading and guiding me. You know, I do the work, but I get the, um, in my, in my opinion, I do the work, uh, but I get inspiration through life around me. And so it's important to to make sure that you, whatever your version of spirituality, once again, it doesn't have to be religious, something that you do can, can really help you because without that, you're going to be top heavy. We've all been to the gym before and we've seen those bodybuilders who have really big upper bodies and little scrawny legs. Mm -hmm. And you're like, mm -hmm. well, that doesn't make sense. So it's the same type of thing when it comes to our day. If you're not fully engaged in all aspects of your personality, all aspects of self, then you're going to be top heavy. So my intellect may be, you know, really working hard right now. You know, smoke coming out of my ears as I'm talking to you. But if sure. my spirituality yeah. isn't there, when life happens to me, well, what am I going to do? So to, to answer your question, the more you can implement these things every single day, it kind of burns off the excess energy. So when something does happen, and it will happen, I'm not bringing all the previous things from, from the day before, from the week before, because I'm like, ah, it's too much. So just like metabolism, when you can, metabolism burns things off a slow burn throughout the day. When you bring some type of inspiration, some type of spirituality, well, how, like I said, well, however you want to quantify that, that then allows you to burn it off throughout the day because when things happen, it doesn't impact you as much because you're already able, like that metabolism, to burn it off. And so that would be something I would tell people is the more you cannot be top heavy like that bodybuilder Love and it. make sure you have the full 
um, the full um, holistic approach in your life, you'll find that when life happens, and once again, it will happen, it doesn't affect you the way it did before. So how you start your day is indicative of how your day is going to go. How you end your day is also how you're going to sleep, because as we know, just before you fall asleep, the theta brainwaves kick in. Whatever you think about just before you go into unconsciousness, or non-consciousness rather, all of a sudden that becomes what you think about. And what you think about then determines how you are when you wake up. So it's all very cyclical, but it, it all starts with when you can add more things in your life that feed you, that feed that resilience within you, you'll mm -hmm. find that when life happens, what comes out is not going to be something that we're you have to uh, go to a therapy for and talk yeah, to someone like yeah. me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Two incredible tips, right? Just how you start your day. And, and, and this just goes back to what you're about, right? Helping people simplify and transform their spirit, their yeah. mind and body. So just thinking whatever your beliefs are, experience, how do you make sure that you are feeding in a healthy way your, yes. your spirit at the start of the day and mm -hmm. it's also it feels like it's a way of resetting isn't it it's just mm -hmm. resetting just grounding yes. myself in the best of myself the my truest self and then also yes. at the end of the day just kind of letting things go and saying hey i'm gonna restart for the next day at my absolute um, yes. best. So, and when you focus on that, that's really a really cool thing is because when people are hypnotized, and I mean like with true clinical hypnotherapy, not the people things you see on TV, but when people are truly hypnotized, they're actually in that theta brainwave state. And so, when you just before you fall asleep, your your brain automatically does that. So you can learn to uh, to I don't say hypnotize yourself, but you can learn to influence yourself based on what you think. So if you have a big goal, if you have like for example, last night I went to bed thinking about this show, thinking okay, well. How am I going to be on the other side of it? Kind of we talked about before. So sure. if I can see myself once I hit when I, once I hit goodbye, see how I feel. I feel great about it. I've when I slept, my non-conscious mind worked through that. So all of a sudden, when I woke up, I was refreshed and I was prepared for it because it, your your mind then works through it. So it almost like puts the building blocks that you need in place. And so therefore, when I woke up, did my spirituality boom, I'm ready to go. So that's always a wonderful thing. Anytime you fall asleep, think of the goal you want to accomplish on the other side of it. And your non-conscious mind starts to build that within your sleep patterns, which then allows you to then all of a sudden wake up with another version, a healthier version of self. Love it. Love it. I I've been doing so much recently on visioneering, imagineering, and what you've said there, because some people do stop at the, the goal. Here's a goal I have, mm -hmm. but, but you're saying, see yourself on the other side not yes. see yourself actually see yourself embody that hey i've achieved it we've done it it's a great conversation how am i feeling what am i thinking yes. what am i saying to myself how am i high-fiving myself and, and 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 you're able to embody something and your subconscious ends up putting you into an incredible state to, yes because um, really we've all gone to sleep we've all gone to sleep or trying to you think about something worry worrisome or like where do i put my keys i can't find my keys in the middle of the night you wake up like ah i know where my keys are you know like ah you know we have an idea to, to whatever this what is anxiety producing thought was and it's the same thing your, your non-conscious mind always does it so why not use it in a way that's effective for you so that you can be the person that can accomplish all your goals love it Hey, James, final question before I let you go. Any word of wisdom, advice for leaders about how to just have their best mental game possible? Big question. So <laughs> you know, I would say it's a lot of pressure. No, I would really say it just it really boils down to we're all going to mess up. 
And when you can recognize that you're gonna mess up, it's okay to mess up. The difference is, is if you try and cover it up or don't take responsibility or don't teach people that, yeah, you know, I, I screwed up. This was not mm -hmm. my best moment. Will you please forgive me? Because without that, just like you did with your boys, people are gonna remember that. And if you don't take, take responsibility, well, then what are you really teaching them? Why are they gonna to wanna to follow you? Because if you blame other people or sweep it under the rug, unfortunately that you're leading them, but to where are you leading them? So when you can take responsibility and ownership to say, I am working on this just like you are, I'm gonna struggle. You don't necessarily have to say that per se, but when you do struggle, because we all do, will struggle, we all will not have the best response, it's okay. And so when you give yourself grace and mercy, you'll realize that you can truly lead in a holistic approach as opposed to leading out of fear and worry that I have to always be right, I have to be correct. Because leaders are not always right. They surround themselves with individuals who have the expertise and then they lead all those people to be able to accomplish whatever the goal is. So once again, just give yourself compassion, own up to struggles you may have. It's very normal. It's very healthy. And the more you do that, you'll find that more people will surround themselves with you. Hey, I put you under pressure, but you delivered, James. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, thank you. So great having you on the show. Uh, to all our listeners and viewers, I hope you enjoy that. I'm sure you did. I certainly did. And remember that if you want to be a courageous and resilient leader, if you want to live a life on purpose and with purpose, then it starts from the inside out. Have a great day and see you all on the next show. Thanks for joining us today, James. Thank you, Obi. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.